This standing chat is hosted by Humbleworks, the designers and manufacturers of quality, ergonomically designed standing desks and related products. We'll be speaking to Dr. James Levine, the authority on the benefits of standing versus sitting. He has received more than 50 awards in the field of science, published over 200 papers, started more than two dozen companies, and is the author of Get Up, a book which opened the eyes of millions of people to our modern sedentary lifestyle and the health issues behind sitting down for extended periods of time. Hello, Dr. Levine. Hi, India. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you? Great. Brilliant. So... What's on your mind? Well, what's on my mind? The fact that I'm standing <laughs> right now is a good thing. Okay. <laughs> that is what's on a my mind. Start. And I've got lots of questions for Okay. You. Go for it. So, from what I understand, medical research has shown that sitting down for long periods of time has loads and loads of health uh, issues, can cause lots of health issues, from back problems, poor posture, diabetes, obesity, but can you explain how sitting causes these health issues? Mm. Well, I mean, I think the first thing is, is let's do a quick reality check. Mm -hmm. It would be silly to suggest that having a quick sit down, having a sit down at the movies, does you any harm at all. It's fantastic. There are times to sit. No question. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. And in fact, the data that, are gathered, that have been gathered on people who are agricultural workers who really have manual jobs demonstrate really nicely. And this is, is you start the day with a big breakfast, you go out and work really hard. And then you rest and you sit. Mm -hmm. And it's the image of workers seated in the fields eating their lunch. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, get up for the afternoon session and are rested, socializing, sitting down in the evening. There are times to sit. But it's what, exactly what you said is correct. It's the prolonged sitting all day long that is extremely concerning for public health. Mm -hmm. There are a catalogue there are about 28 individual health issues associated with prolonged sitting. They range from the metabolic issues you mentioned, diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease. They impact obesity. They're critically important in type 2 diabetes. There are musculoskeletal problems from neck pain to back pain even to wrist pain from excessive sitting with carpal tunnel syndrome. But oftentimes, the sense I get from patients is all of these things are true and are heavily medicalized in the modern world. But to me, as you listen to people, probably the thing that strikes me the most is that people are flat. They're flat in their mood, they're flat in their thinking, they're flat in their energy. People have become stultified by excess sitting. And this is, I think, what's at stake. Yes, there's poor health. Yes, there's type 2 diabetes. Yes, there are metabolic and muscular problems. There's even greater risk of cancers, such as breast cancer. But deep, deep down in the human soul, we become stultified. We've been confined to the chair, and it's got to stop. Mm -hmm. So it's the fact that we need to become more animated with our lives? Yeah, that's exactly right. I guess. Yeah, I mean, isn't it sort of tragic mm -hmm. to spend 40 years at work on your bottom confined to the space def 
that is defined by your computer screen. And once you're stuck there, life over, game done, you're finished. And I think sacrificing one's life to the chair is just not the way to do it. Mm -hmm. There's a big world out there that we want to explore and we're just staying India, that we need to get up and explore. Exactly. Now, earlier when you mentioned diabetes being one of the major health issues, um, but can you explain to me why diabetes and sitting for prolonged periods of time have got this relationship? We were really, we, we, in the lab, we knew the data. It was very clear that type 2 diabetes, which is the type of diabetes most often people get when they're sort of in adulthood, often associated with obesity, sometimes not. Type 2 diabetes is associated with prolonged sitting. We knew that. It was accepted across the scientific community. What we couldn't understand quite was why. I mean, what are, what's going on under the bonnet? And in order to look at this, there are fantastic machines now that are commonly available to help patients called continuous glucose monitors. And they allow glucose to be monitored, monitor, they allow glucose to be monitored second by second, or slightly more accurately, minute by minute. So we can get a trace of a person's blood glucose value throughout the day. And we then did a simple experiment. We took a group of volunteers, we brought them to the research center, and we attached these continuous glucose monitors to all of them. We then said, look, we want you to have a normal day, stuck on your chair, behind the television, behind the computer screen, at work, and we're going to give you breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and we're going to measure your blood glucose throughout the whole day. So our volunteers came in, got a fab breakfast, delicious lunch, uh, quite a arduous, uh, quite a big dinner as well. And throughout the whole day, we measured their blood glucose. Now, as you might imagine, you have a big breakfast, your blood glucose goes up, like a, like, a bit like a mountain. And you're sitting there doing your email, responding to the normal pressures and stresses of life, doing the telephone, and, the, and your blood glucose slowly declines until lunch. You then have a big lunch, then it's almost snooze time, more email, more phone calls, more work. And yeah, that then, three o'clock need for something sweet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Chalky time, chalky yeah. time. And, 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 the, and, and then it's dinner and another mountain of glucose and on you go. Nothing new, right? We took exactly the same subjects and exactly the same meals again. And we followed exactly the same protocol with one single difference. After each of those meals, we asked our subjects to get up and walk at a normal, slow, strolling pace after their meal. That's all we asked them to do. And I'm telling you, the results were staggering. Instead of, those being, instead of there being those mountains of glucose after breakfast, after lunch, and after dinner, those mountains became hills. This became that. And all of a sudden we saw that by simply taking a walk after each of your meals, you can halve your mountainous excursions in blood glucose after each of those meals. You can halve it. Now what's really fascinating is when you, again, you look at the big data sets, you see that it is your total mountain of blood glucose that is predictive of type 2 diabetes. 
And so therefore, if you can get into the habit of having your breakfast, lunch and dinner and chalky time. Mm -hmm. Of course. Of course. And taking a stroll after all of those, you are going to potentially halve your risk of type 2 diabetes. Now, if you could then consider that, what, 5 to 10% of the population have type 2 diabetes, and those numbers are growing across the world, you realize that this simple intervention of getting up off your bottom, going for a stroll after each of your meals, has the potential to impact not only your health, that of your family. It's a fun thing to do. I used to do it with my grandma. Um, Gags, my grandma, used to, after every meal, particularly after dinner, she'd take me for a walk. Now, Gags used to smoke. Right. Don't recommend that <laughs> at all. But, but, but there's just something about going for a stroll after each of your meal. If this became a normal behavior across the world, you can imagine this actually impacting mm. global type 2 diabetes. More importantly, your personal risk mm -hmm. and that of your family. And think of you know the money it can save as well with the amount of money that's poured into drugs and research when it's so, so, something that's so simple going for a walk after eating. I mean, it's, I think a lot of the times in the medical community we spend a great deal of time talking about healthcare costs and you are 100% correct. From the states we know that approximately for every year that a person has type 2 diabetes, it costs the healthcare system seven to ten thousand dollars, about let's say eight thousand pounds a year. And remember, people live with type 2 diabetes for 20, 30, or 40 years. And so the Q, and of course, what seven percent of the population has two, type 2 diabetes, so the cumulative cost of this is astronomical. And you'll see a lot written online in the medical literature about these incredible costs. And, and there are now some countries, Arabic-speaking countries, for example, where a third of the population, one in three people, have type 2 diabetes. So the healthcare costs are astronomical, no question. However, when you're actually sitting in clinic, face-to-face -face with a patient, that issue actually doesn't cross your mind. Because, first of all, as we're talking as professionals, we are both aware what type 2 diabetes is, how it affects the people, how it affects people, how common it is, and the impact it has on people's lives. We are also aware of the fact that type 2 diabetes is associated with visual problems, nerve problems, and a whole host of other complications in of itself, cardiovascular disease in particular. We know this, but when you say type 2 diabetes to a patient, what you actually see is fear. It's it, I'm telling you, it's really, really frightening. And healthcare costs go out the window, list of complications go out the window. People suddenly on a very full plate of issues, worries, concern, family, financial, etc., etc., now have a health concern, a health problem. And that's really scary. It's really, really frightening. And so everything you say, I agree with you. But I think taking half a step back, part of the challenge of people getting up, moving, preventing type 2 diabetes, improve, improving blood pressure, 
preventing cardiovascular disease and even cancer are all very praiseworthy. But at the end of the day, it's human spirit. That's, that's the real value proposition here, is giving people back the power to take control of their lives, both physically and mentally, and right down to their spirit, to mm -hmm. their core. Mm -hmm. Fueling your soul again, I guess. And I'm sure you go for that walk after you've had your lunch, you come back to your desk, and I bet the majority of people will feel so much more inspired and creative with the work that they have at hand. Well, I'll tell you something really interesting is all of this medical data has come in now over several years, and, and, and I kid you not, there are thousands, I kid you not, thousands of medical articles about what we've spoken. However, there are two other groups of articles which we must discuss. One of them is the idea that people with prolonged sitting have low mood. We know from the big randomized studies on depression that walking, and I'm not talking about putting on Lycra spandex, going to the gym, you know, buying a, a 2,000 pound bicycle. I'm talking about going for a walk. That's what I'm talking about. People who go for that, that is one of the major methods of preventing and supporting the treatment of depression. People who with prolonged sitting have low mood, feel blue, feel groggy, feel sort of stuffed up, but not in their noses, internally. Now, what's really cool to your question, finally I'm going to answer mm -hmm. your question, is there are also data that show when people have prolonged sitting, their creativity level drops. The reason there's less data, it's more difficult to measure, but it's absolutely true. Those creative sparks are softened, are quiet. Mm -hmm. Now, from my own background, when we start up companies, particularly in technologies, wearable technologies and so on and so forth, it is the creative sparks that generate companies, ideas, jobs, excitement, a better world. Those creative sparks are, are what put, puts paint on the canvas, right? Those creative sparks are the words of the poem. Those creative sparks are the words of warmth and love and caring between people. Those creative sparks are really what's keep, what, what, what keeps the lights on, mm -hmm. on earth. And to think that sitting down all day long suppresses that, that's really sad. I mean, it does make sense. I have all my best ideas if I'm walking my dog or I'm, I don't know, standing up in the shower. I don't think I've ever had a good idea sat down and it's... It does, it totally makes, makes sense to me. So obviously you've just spoken about you know, what can happen in the mind, but what about my physical body? So what, what is happening to my physical body over years and years and years of prolonged sitting? So let's go back to the example we just discussed of where people were getting all their meals on the research center. We were measuring their glucose all the time. They took a walk after their meals at a very slow pace and their blood glucose dropped by half if you like, halving their risk of type 2 diabetes. What is amazing is to think, hang on, I just took a stroll and one of my big health indicators halved. Why? If you then start to look at the muscle, for example, and the cellular components, the receptors of insulin, the receptors of insulin-like growth factors, you start to see that they become progressively more activated. They become stronger, if you like. 
The more you walk, you know, don't just strengthen your muscles, but you strengthen the muscle's capacity to keep your health indicators good. And that doesn't occur simply by being stronger, sort of, you know, striding around. That occurs at a cellular level, at a microscopic level. And it is, again, it's not even just, well, that sounds about right. People have studied this by taking samples out of the muscle and investigating this sort of under the microscope, measuring the gene activity. And, it, and it's sort of concrete. These things are actually happening right across your body, body, and not only at the muscular level, also at the liver, and fascinatingly at the brain level too. So what you're seeing across your body, the more you sit, the more a person sits, is all of these things make, in, make the body more resistant to insulin, make the mind more resistant to the sparks of inventiveness we just discussed, make the neurological firings slower, and the slower we become en masse as a whole body, the worse is our health, if you like. But what is critical to understand about the science, and this is the biggest thing with patients, particularly those who are carrying extra weight and fighting, fighting, fighting to get the pounds off, the most important thing of all to bear in mind is you do not, if you want to go to the gym, great, no question, but if you do not have to go to the gym. With your dog, you can get up and walk, you can take a stroll after each meal. You can tour an art gallery with a friend. You can go outside into the, into the, into the park or down into a walking track, whatever it may be. You go for a bike ride. It's got to be fun. But all of these things are going to put the energy back into your life. Because mm -hmm. I guess some, for some people, going to the gym can feel like a bit of a chore or something you have to do. But like you say, you can do it without even realizing it by tying it into an art gallery or something like that and so these are obviously ways that I can avoid and counteract getting ill. Exactly but let me just add a little yeah. point if I may. For those of us who are svelte, you know the idea, the notion of going to a gym isn't particularly scary. We did a really I wouldn't use the word upsetting, that's too strong. Heart-rending analysis. It wasn't one of our top scientific papers, it was a humanistic paper where we spoke to patients, people who are battling their excess body weight, battling type 2 diabetes, and we said, look, we're going to give you free gym memberships. We're, we've, we've spoken to the local athletic club I mean, here are 10 passes for free, and so on. And then after several months, we went back to those same individuals and said, How did, we made it as easy as peasy as possible. Did you have fun? All we want to know is, did you have fun? The vast majority of those to whom we gave access or free passes didn't use them, or most of them they didn't use. And we were interested as to why. And the why has nothing to do with motivation. This is the big mistake that people make. And it, I'm telling you, it drives me crazy and it really, really annoys me. When people say about my patients, somebody with excess body weight, somebody who's overweight, they're too lazy, they're not trying hard enough. It's garbage. My patients, I'm telling you, will try 17, 20 times to lose weight and come back and do it again. My patients will go to the gym, will give it a go and leave, but they don't leave 
because it's too much hard work. They leave because they're stigmatized. People feel as though other people are looking at them judgmentally. My patients will go into a yoga class, which is absolutely fabulous. And they'll see other women and men looking at them and almost making little comments often behind their back. People will use very negative language that I'm not going to repeat here. And so what we're also lacking as we think about this challenge and the challenge that you're posing to all of the people watching this um, episode is compassion. It's not only about doing hardcore sweat. We have to think about how other people feel, how other people are thought about. Let's all be honest. When you get on the bus and somebody who's overweight gets on the bus, you're thinking to yourself, don't sit next to me. That's what you're thinking, not you. You're far too kind, but we all know what I'm talking about. When you walk into the gym, can you imagine what it's like to stand in line behind somebody who's overweight? You're thinking, <coughs> what a weight. That's how people think. Imagine being that person who gets on a bus and people look at them and basically send that message, don't sit next to me. Imagine standing in line at the gym and knowing the person behind me is smirking. How would that make you feel? How would that make you feel? And that's what we're talking about. We need, a, we need an environment that's encompassing, mm -hmm. where you can stroll outside, hand in hand with a loved one, with a friend, with your podcast, with your dog, all of the above, and feel part of something good and something positive. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to bring here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. You know, the health issues are one thing, but how, you make, how it makes you feel, and at, at the end of the day, that's what we're all striving towards, mm. is is happiness and yes. being present and in this in this moment and being able to enjoy this beautiful world. And and I think I think I think you've touched on something profound. Here we're talking about medical issues, we're talking about healthcare costs, we're talking about diabetes, we're talking about obesity and all these other things. And we're talking about people feeling good in society, but we're ultimately talking about people being happy. In fact, the number one predictor of a person being unhappy, and this is going to sound obvious, is ill health. Another reason people are unhappy is because they don't feel happy in the space that they're in. And we can say, well, people should feel happy based on all the things they have, all the positive things in their life, all this kind of thing. But now, think again about the person who gets on a bus, and everyone on that bus is thinking, don't sit next to me. Where's that happiness? How can you fuel happiness in an environment like that? Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, this is a happiness that we all have to embrace together. My happiness is, is a selfish thing. Our happiness is a collective thing. Mm -hmm. No, it's absolutely fascinating and totally makes sense. And you very much inspired me to go on a walk after every meal. With your dog? <laughs> With my dog. My dog's going to look at me at the end of the day going, what, another walk? Really? <laughs> but thank you so much. My pleasure. It's been fascinating. Great. Thank you.